Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, I want to say again, thank you for loving our team so well. And when Chris said that we shouldn't just honor the pastors in October, but that every month we should honor the pastors, I just want you to know that we feel that way. Uh, This is not a church where we serve at that we feel like it is a thankless job. Instead, we feel and we sense the appreciation and we hear the appreciation in your voice all year long. And so we just want to say thank you for that. Andy Stanley said, Bless is the man who gets the opportunity to devote his life to something bigger than himself and who finds himself surrounded by friends who share his passion. And that's how Erica and I feel about being able to pastor this church, that we uh, get to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We've talked about that, that the reason why we've been able to experience what we've experienced as a church is because his hand and his grace is upon our church in this season. And so we're going to milk it for everything that it's worth. We're going to reach as many people as we can until Jesus comes back or until we breathe our last breath. Amen? We're going to go for it. And then to be able to be surrounded by the staff members that we have, I am so grateful for each one of our pastoral team members, as well as their spouses and the administrative team that we have at our church. It is second to none. And the unity that exists there is something special and something that I'm so grateful that exists. And so there's not any of this stuff where we show up in the office and wonder where we stand with another staff member or even as we talked about the board earlier. Instead, there's just an immense amount of unity. And I think you see it because as the leadership is healthy and as that leadership team is united, then the church will be healthy and united as well. And so we just praise God for it. Last week, I preached a message called Breaking News. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to watch online or listen online. And honestly, each week I stand up and deliver what I believe is a specific word for a specific moment for our church. And so uh, last week, if you missed breaking news, it's still breaking this week. And so you can uh, go back and, and listen to it and see what God wants to speak to you through that. I have wrestled more with the messages for the last couple of weeks and this Sunday and next Sunday's message than messages that I've wrestled with for a long time. There is a desire in my heart to make sure that I get it right. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just exhausted with politics. And so, uh, and I imagine that maybe some of you are as well. And so you're like, man, I want to show up to church and not even hear the word politics, right? And so, and so there's a part of me last week and this week and next week that doesn't even want to say anything about this election and about politics and, and just like pretend, I mean not pretend, but just preach about something totally different and not even mention it. But yet I realize that this is something that we're facing as a church and as a nation. And so how can I not drop nuggets of truth about how we should respond in this season? And so I just want you to know, like I've, I've wrestled through it, and, uh, and, and there's nothing more that I would rather do than not stand up here than to, yes, to not talk about politics here. But just so you know, last week we talked about it just a little bit. And today there's going to be some nuggets that are just thrown in there because I feel like how can I not address something that we're all facing? 
And so it would be, uh, it would be um, an error on my part, that's the word I'll use, to not address something that we're all experiencing and to be silent on the issue. So my prayer for our church and for each of you is that you will remember how big God is. He is greater than any of our wildest imaginations. He is a mighty God. He's a mighty God. And so we need to be praying for the results of our election that are coming up. Eric and I fulfilled our responsibilities on Friday. We prayed. We asked the Lord for wisdom. We filled in a box. And here's just, a, I didn't realize that, can I say this or not? I think I'm going to. I thought it was a joke that Kanye West was actually going to be on the ballot, but he was. And I thought, if we select and fill in this bubble with the entire nation be closed on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A. If you've not heard his gospel album, that is a song that's on his gospel album. And so I just wondered, like, you know, if he gets elected, will sports be shut down on Sundays? Will, uh, you know, will work be shut down on Sundays? Sorry, if you're voting for him because the Lord has revealed that to you, that that's who you should vote for, then follow what the Lord tells you to do. I'm going to continue. So here's what I know. If the person I voted for does not get elected, life is going to go on and God is still going to be on his throne and he is a mighty God. Amen. So we'll get to continue to look at the things that aren't, in, that aren't right and ought not to be in our community, in our country, and pray that God will bring about biblical justice and restoration. And I know that no matter what happens in the election, the church will still be the hands and feet of Jesus extended. We'll still, be, uh, we'll still have a part in making our community, state, nation, and our world a better place through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, our small groups have been going through uh, Colossians, Louis Giglio's study. And this morning, I'm not going to rehash what Louis Giglio said about Colossians chapter 1. Instead, I want us to turn in our, in our Bibles to that passage this morning. And I just want to share some things out of that passage with you. For those of you who have been part of the small group this semester studying Colossians, these verses are going to sound familiar to you. But I want us to dive into them today. Colossians chapter 1, verse number Nine is where we'll begin reading. I would encourage you to turn there in your Bibles or on your digital devices. They're also going to appear on the screen. Here's what it says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's power. Would you open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive what you would have for us? Lord, I thank you that in this environment that we've come expecting you to speak, And so, God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be obedient to what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul begins this passage in Colossians with a thanksgiving for the church in Colossae. He praises them for the faith that they've demonstrated. And in verse number nine, he says, And from the day that we heard, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, I'm sure that Paul prayed for them and prayed for a number of different needs for them. But what he highlights and says that he prays for specifically for them, we can see here in Colossians. And the thing that Paul focused on is that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He prays that they would uh, be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. How many of you would love to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I know I sure would. I remember when I was a teenager that there would be specific things that I would face that I wasn't quite sure, should I do it, should I not do it? And my Aunt Debbie was a, a, a tremendous spiritual mentor for me. And, uh, and so when I would come to these moments and I would talk to her, she would give me this line that I absolutely despised in the moment. She would say, why don't you pray about it? Why don't I pray about it? Why don't you just tell me what I should and shouldn't do? I think that some of the best words that we can give to people and the best advice that we can give to people is to pray about it. When my wife and our kids decided that they wanted to add a four-legged thing to our family (laughs) at Thanksgiving, I said, why don't we pray about it? And I'm just telling you that God spoke something very differently to me than what he spoke to my wife and kids. So you can pray for the disobedient nature of my wife and kids and that in God's grace that this dog would be a blessing that we receive at Thanksgiving. You know, I prayed about what we should name it. I'm just kidding. I didn't pray about it. But it, uh, it's black with a white streak down the middle of it. What do you think? I think Pepe Le Pew would be a tremendous name for that dog. Again, I'll vote it three to one. One of the greatest lines that anybody could tell me in my spiritual development was, why don't you pray about it? And sometimes it's easier for us to just tell others what we think they should do or what they shouldn't do or ask people to tell us what they think we should do or what we shouldn't do. 
the greatest thing that we can do is encourage people to pray about it and that God would give them wisdom and insight. Those conversations over 20 years ago helped begin a pattern and a dependence upon hearing from God. And I want to demystify something for you this morning. When you hear somebody say that they heard from God or that God speaks to them, I just want to say for those of you who feel like, man, what is wrong with me because I've never heard the audible voice of God, I just want to tell you that I have also never heard the audible voice of God. I hope that someday in this earth that I will have that opportunity to hear his audible voice. But instead, God has spoken to me through things like the still small voice of his Holy Spirit. He has spoken to me through others with a word that's come at exactly the right time where there's no way that they could have known what I was facing or what I was going through, but I was dealing with something on the inside and they spoke something to me that spoke directly to that. It's another way that God has spoken to me. And another way where God has spoken to me is the countless times when I've been facing something and I've opened up the Bible to read this letter that he's given to us, his word that's still applicable to our lives today. And there will be scriptures that address directly what I'm dealing with. And so I just want to encourage you, for those of you who say, God doesn't speak to me, well, I just wonder if you're not quite listening in the avenues that he wants to speak to you through. And so I would encourage you to, uh, to seek to hear uh, the will of God for your life. I pray that each of you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding and that you would know his will comprehensively for your life as well as that you would seek it for the smaller things in your life as well. I pray that as you're casting your ballots in the next few days that, that you would know his will, that you wouldn't just check or fill in a circle, but instead that you would pray and ask God, how would he have you fill in that circle? Verse number 10, he says, I pray that you have the wisdom as, as, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This should be our desire, to walk in a manner fully pleasing to God. And so how do we do that? Well, number one, he's given us instructions. They're found in the Bible. We need to value the Bible, memorize it, read it, obey it. And the beautiful thing about the Bible and about pleasing God is we don't have to guess how we can please him, right? Yesterday, I was on a time crunch. My wife wanted a Dr. Pepper, and that's what she said to me. And what I knew what she was saying to me is that she didn't just want any Dr. Pepper. She wanted Dr. Pepper from McDonald's. Because in her mind, Dr. Pepper has, I mean, McDonald's has the best fountain drinks. Well, I knew that I didn't have time to go through the drive-thru at McDonald's, and so I was going to Casey's. So preemptively, when I arrived home, I said, here's sweetheart, here's your 20-ounce bottle of Dr. Pepper. I know that when you asked me to get you Dr. Pepper, you hoped with all of your heart that I would drive through McDonald's and get you a fountain drink. But I just want you to know how grateful that I am of your love for me and your understanding that in this critical time frame that I had, that I did not have time to go through McDonald's. I could read her mind in that situation. I knew what she wanted. But there are plenty of times when I have blown it and not known what I did, because I'm not a mind reader. And other times when she desires for me to know what I'm supposed to know that I don't know. And it's a guessing game. Maybe some of you have relationships like that. Our rela Ooh, that's scary. I don't know who did that. But 
Not the place to say amen. <laughs> I mean, it is, truthfully, but oh, mercy. I pray for wisdom and understanding of the wife whose husband just said amen in Jesus' name. With our relationship with our Heavenly Father, it's not a guessing game. We don't have to guess as to what we need to do and not do to please Him. He's outlined it in His Word for us, and we can read it and know it and walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. One of the conversations that we have had consistently with our kids over the years is our expectations upon them. And there's this line that we say to Jacob and Juliana, we say the expectations that we have of you are not because of the role that I fill. So let me say it more specifically. The expectations that we have on you is not because you're a pastor's kid. And I just want to stop right there and say thank you for the last six and a half, almost seven years for providing an atmosphere of normalcy for our children without this weird church culture garbage of making pastor's kids something different than what they are, which is just kids. Kids who just happen to have the parents be the pastors. And so I just want to say, you, to, say to you, and Pastor Dan and Lindsay want to say to you, and staff members who are going to have children in the future, thank you. Thank you for creating a normal environment for our kids to grow up in. And so the conversations that we've had with our kids is we have these expectations upon you, not because you're a pastor's kid, but because you're my kid. And I'll say things like this. Poppy, which is what they call my dad, wasn't even saved until I was 16 years old, and he had the same expectations upon us. Right? He had those expectations upon us because we were his kids, we were Bartholos, and so that's why we have those expectations, because you're Bartholos. And I just wonder, are we living a life that would make our Heavenly Father proud that we bear His name? Are we living a life that would make our Heavenly Father proud that we bear His name? If not, then I would encourage you to start. And if so, then keep going. And Paul continues that statement to say, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully and pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is not just being a passive Christian, but actually bearing fruit in every good work. And he goes on and there's this increasing, uh, the increasing in the knowledge of God again. And in verse number 11, his prayer continues, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. I don't know about you, but I feel like this COVID season has been incredibly long. It started in the winter. It continued through the spring and through the summer and through the fall. And apparently winter arrives tonight with a snowstorm. Right, so we've made it through, through all of the seasons and there's been no relief, reprieve, or escape. It's impacted so many areas of our lives and it's been impossible to escape the impact of it. And Paul's prayer was that the church would be strengthened with power according to his glorious might and God is all-powerful. He is a mighty God. He can give us the strength to make it through this season. For so long in my life, I was physically stronger than my son, Jacob. And I'm just hopeful like, that the Lord will mute his ears for just a moment as I even say these words. 
But there came a moment, for those of you who don't know my son Jacob, he's the big giant with poofy hair over here playing the bass this morning. You'll see him at, at the end of service. I'm just jealous. That's why I talk about his poofy hair. He clearly didn't get it from me. But there came a moment in Jacob's life where he exceeded me in height and muscle definition. That's hard to say as a dad. Physically, he has grown stronger than me. I'll never forget a couple of years ago when we were at the gym. Ha ha, cue the jokes. <laughs> and Jacob squatted down and deadlifted 400 and something pounds. And he said, are you going to try it, dad? No. <laughs> Told you I was stronger than you. I said, yeah, but I'm smarter than you. And I'm not afraid to fight dirty. So come at me, bro. <laughs> Unlike in this earthly relationship with my son, can I tell you that there is nothing and no one who will ever match or surpass the strength of God. There is nothing and no one who will ever grow to match or surpass the strength of God. He will always be the mightiest. And it's with this recognition that Paul prays that the church would be strengthened with power for all endurance and patience with joy. In this verse number 11, all endurance and patience with joy. We need his strength to give us endurance and patience with joy in this season. And there's so much packed into that sentence. Some of you say, I am tired and weary, and patience and joy are not marking your life. Let's pray the words of Paul over one another. That we'll pray that people will endure and not grow weary in doing good. The other thing to keep in mind is that when the results of the election are announced, there are going to be a number of people who are going to celebrate, and there will be another group of people who will mourn. And I will just tell you that in this room, there will be some of you who will celebrate and some of you who will mourn. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because I know that there's not 100% uh, support of one candidate in this room and that somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. And so in doing so, Somebody's going to celebrate and somebody's not. And in this season, fear has been drilled into all of us, right? Constantly. Every commercial, every pamphlet. I love what someone said. Am I supposed to wallpaper my house with all of these pamphlets that are coming in the mail? The Recycle Center has to have semis on hand for all of the junk mail that's coming to our house in this season. But fear has been just drilled into everyone. And, and I've seen very few ads. Well, I'll just tell you this. I have not seen a single ad where there's peppy music <laughs> talking about something exciting that's going to take place. Instead, what is it? It is the saddest, the darkest music with a line like this, if you vote for such and such candidate, your worst possible scenario is going to come true. Right? Have you seen the same ads I've seen? So no matter who you're voting for, the worst case possible scenario is going to happen. That's the fear that's been driven into people. Fear, fear, fear. And I pray that whether your candidate loses or wins, that you will have the power to endure with patience, with joy, and I'm just telling you, you can in Jesus' name, right? And then I just want to say this, because there are going to be people who celebrate after the results of the election and some who mourn, I would just caution us as followers of Jesus to love one another. 
right? And so let's come in that Sunday and let's rejoice with those who rejoice. Let's mourn with those who mourn. And let's be a part of the solution of a broken system, right? Let's let the church be the church and let's see God do a work in the hearts of people. And when hearts are transformed, then there's nothing that will stop what God wants to do. Amen? All right. Yeah, thank you for clapping. That was a great place to clap. We can do this because we serve a mighty God and our hope is in him. And Paul continues in verse 12 and 13. He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, giving thanks to God who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And Paul says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. He has rescued us. He has taken us from the worst place possible and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have the redemption and forgiveness of sins. In verse number 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of God, and the church reflects the image of Jesus to the world. Catch that this morning. Jesus is the image of God, and the church reflects the image of Jesus to the world. Which is why it's so important that the church get it right. It's important that we get it right. As we talk about image, I wonder how many of you have ever been to a -A Build-A-Bear workshop? Okay, a few of you. I'm embarrassed to tell you that so have I. And it wasn't for my kids. So, uh, and it wasn't for me, okay? Weird. <laughs> Build-A-Bear Workshop, you can, there are stores across the, the nation where you can get a teddy bear or other stuffed animal of your liking. And so when Erica and I were dating, I went to Build-A-Bear and picked out a monkey. I picked out a lifeless, soulless, spineless, stuffingless bundle of fur. And then I handed it to the attendant who hooks it up to this machine and pumps stuffing into the arms to make the muscles look like Job Huseman. (laughs) And then it fills the other arm. And then the body to be as trim or as plump as you would like for it to be. And then, without leaving any details out, they insert a heart. Mm. That's right. And then they have add-ons, because what kind of retail business would you be in if you didn't offer more ways for people to spend their money in your store? And so there was a device that you could put inside this Build-A-Bear monkey. That said something when you squeezed it. So I picked out the one that says, I love you. I love you. Really hopeful that my voice did not sound like that 20 years ago. I know you're thinking, how cute. Our pastor's a real romantic person. They stitch up this Build-A-Bear like a world-class surgeon. And then... You get to pick out an outfit for it. I picked out camo. (laughs) It's not true. I picked out a wedding dress. Oh, that's right. I was hinting at something. Thank God she said yes. 
It's not what I used to propose to her. <laughs> That's a di- wow. That's a different story. I'll save it for another day. Sometimes we try to customize Jesus and the Christian faith the same way. We try to make Jesus look more like our image rather than making us look like his. And one of the greatest strengths of true Christianity is that it's not relegated to a single geographical culture or a group of people. And you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean by that if it's not obvious. Christianity is not relegated to the three, to only to the 330 million people who call the United States of America their home. Christianity is a worldwide movement, right? We prayed for a nation today that over 90% of the people are followers of Jesus. Hundreds of millions of people just in that one nation are followers of Jesus. So one of the greatest strengths of true Christianity, Christianity is that it is not relegated to a single geographical culture or group of people. It does not have a main political ideology or militaristic aim. Christianity meets people where they are and can, to, and can adjust to various culture norms. And one struggle with it is that Christianity can become hijacked by the culture of a certain society and the personalities of that world. Christianity can become militaristic, politicized, legalistic, and worldly. And when that happens, the practices of this Christianity do not accurately reflect Jesus. We need to accurately reflect Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse number 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? However, has seen me, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? So in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 15 and 16, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. When we say Jesus, we're not referencing a prophet or an aspect of God, but the full revelation of the living God. New Testament scholar Curtis Vaughn writes, Icon, the Greek word for image, expresses two ideas. One is likeness, a thought brought out in some of the versions. Christ is the image of God in the sense that he is the exact likeness of God, like the image on a coin or the reflection in a mirror. He goes on, the other idea in the word is manifestation. That is, Christ is the image of God in the sense that nature and being of God are perfectly revealed in him. If you look in a handheld mirror, you will see your reflection. Your reflection is what the world sees. And so for some of you, you look in that mirror each morning to see how your hair looks. Tell me about that. (laughs) There are others of you who will walk into the women's restroom over here And there's a secret. Uh, When someone ordered the mirror for the women's restroom, not for the men, I don't know, like, what's wrong with men having nice mirrors. But the mirror in the women's bathroom over here is a flattering mirror. It makes you appear thinner than you are. It doesn't project an accurate image to the world of what you really look like. And here's what I wonder. Are you reflecting the teachings of Jesus in your life. We've all seen those funny mirrors. The church needs to not look like an image of Christ as if it was in a funny mirror, right? Too much is at stake to give a distorted reflection. And so 
our, is our church reflecting the way of Christ? When people reject God, are they rejecting Christ himself or what we have reflected wrongly? When people reject God, are they rejecting Christ himself or what we have reflected wrongly? And to just think about that statement for a second, sometimes we hear this line that, uh, that we may be the only Jesus that others see. And I just wonder if we're the only Jesus that others see, are people rejecting him because we're portraying an accurate image of him? Or are they rejecting him? Verse number 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through him and for him. He created them all. And in verse number 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Do you hear that this morning? He is before all things. He has always been. So let me frame that for our current situation. He has been before COVID, and he will be after COVID. He was before any election ever took place on the entire planet. And he will be after this election. In verse number 18, he is the head of the church. He's the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. Instead, Christ is. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's God's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And verse number 21 comes back to what he stated in verse number 13. In verse number 13, he said it this way. He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If, in, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He says, you once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. This should be in your past. But now that you've confessed your sins to God, you've Confess him as your Lord and Savior. He has reconciled you to present, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And in verse 23, it says, if you continue in the faith, there's this challenge not to waver, to not give up, to be steady and steadfast, not shifting from the gospel, from, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. Well, what is the message of the gospel that we've heard? We are all sinful human beings. And we have no business even imagining ourselves in the presence of an almighty, all-powerful, all-holy God for eternity. Even the best person in here, when compared to God's holiness and his righteousness, deserves hell. But yet God in his love for us, while we were still sinners, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us that we could have forgiveness of sins. And that we could receive the promise of eternal life with him. And this doesn't just change our eternity, it changes our now. Mark Batterson says God doesn't only save us 
from something, hell. He saves us to something. And so I would encourage us to take the words we see in Colossians. And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, in a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you have and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, let's pray to be filled with the knowledge of his will. Let's walk in a manner worthy of carrying his name. Let's be strengthened by his power according to his glorious might and have endurance and patience with joy. And let's remember the grace that he extended to us and not forget what it was like to not be saved. Let's share this grace with others and continue to be steadfast, holy, and blameless. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who are watching online today or you've come into this room and you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never confessed him to be your Lord and Savior. And you say, today I want to become a follower of him. Or maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God and you've turned your back on him and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. In just a moment, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I'm going to ask that you would repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of, you in, each of us in support of you will also be praying this prayer. Let's pray. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior, be my king. Take over every area, take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.